Well, hello, everybody. I'd like to tell you what is happening in our armed forces. Listen to this. The Department of Veterans Affairs has a gender gingerbread person. NASA says beware of micro inequities. And if U.S. Army service women express, quote, discomfort showering with a female who has male genitalia, what's the brass's reply? This is from the Wall Street Journal. Talk to your commanding officer and toughen up. Did you hear that? I'd like to know why a good person would vote Democrat in light of this. Every institution is being ruined by the Democratic Party and the left. The Democratic Party and the left are interchangeable. It means that you've been so deeply, deeply brainwashed to believe Republicans are bad that you still believe, like, uh, like in the days of perhaps FDR, that the Democrats are for the little guy, that none of this matters. Also, there's another reason. People who vote Democrat and who are good people, let's put it this way, otherwise good people, don't know this. They don't know it. They remain hermetically sealed off from whatever ever would challenge their decision to vote Democrat. By labeling every piece of opposition fascist, neo-fascist, racist, etc., You, you hear that? In the army, you're a woman, you're in the shower, and the person next to you has male genitalia. Too bad, baby. This person believes that he is a she. And that's all that matters to the United States Army at this time. Reality is garbage. Ideology is reality. Oh, it continues. Asked for its diversity training, the U.S. Army offered three modules on transgender policy, one for commanders at all levels, another for special staff, and a third for units and soldiers. Notable is a series of vignettes that cover pronoun usage, urinalysis observation, and a serviceman who wants, quote, to discuss his newly confirmed pregnancy. You hear that? In the United States military today, because of the damn left, you discuss his pregnancy. And if you don't refer to it as his pregnancy, you are liable to be disciplined, perhaps even kicked out of the U.S. military. At this time in the United States of America, if you do not affirm that men give birth, you are in deep trouble. Is it any wonder that we are not drafting as many people as are necessary just to keep the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines at present levels? With respect to showers, schedules can be adjusted or curtains installed. 
but a soldier's gender in the Army's system governs which facilities are used. Accommodating only a transgender soldier is prohibited. In other words, if a man says he is a woman, he must shower with other women. Or, if you will, to be more precise, with women. Anyone who encounter, anyone may encounter individuals in barracks, bathrooms, or shower facilities with physical characteristics of the opposite sex. This is from an army manual. Transgender soldiers aren't, quote, required or expected to modify or adjust their behavior based on the fact that they do not, quote, unquote, match other soldiers. That's what it is, that. There are no men and women. There are just people with different genitals. So they have a uh, photo here of something given out by the U.S. Army with the official imprimatur of the U.S. Army. Vignette, and then considerations and responsibilities. A soldier transitioned from male to female, as indicated in Deers. What is Deers? must be something something in the army the soldier did not have sex reassignment surgery the transgender service member is using the female showers and has expressed privacy concerns regarding the open base shower configuration similarly other soldiers have expressed discomfort with a female who has male genitalia this is what you do about it considerations and responsibilities Sean, would you please look up Deers, D-E-E-R-S, as an army term? Soldiers should discuss concerns. One, soldiers should discuss concerns about privacy with their chain of command. Two, soldiers must accept living and working conditions that are often austere, primitive, and characterized by little or no privacy. Three, all soldiers will use the billeting bathroom, and shower facilities associated with their gender marker. Four, commanders have discretion to employ reasonable accommodations when a soldier voices concerns about privacy. Steps may include faculty facility modifications, authorize alternative measures to respect personal privacy, such as adjusting shower schedules, etc., Next. The Veterans, the Veterans Administration's Managing Gene, Gender Diversity training has sections on pronouns and embracing gender expansiveness. One slide lists terms including gender fluid and pansexual. While instructing, list your personal biases in the bias box. Defense Enrollment Eligibility Reporting System. You know how long I will remember that? I already forgot it. A game of privilege bingo includes such items as no criminal record, military experience, and married. Then we have another one from the Veterans Administration, the gender-bred person. 
gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, sexual orientation. Hmm. Gender identity, boy, man, transgender, girl, woman, gender expression, masculine, androgynous, feminine, biological sex, male, intersex, female, sexual orientation, attracted to women, attracted to all, both, none, attracted to men. A NASA training in allyship for executives. These terms mean nothing to me or to you. Says that the term African American is utilized heavily in white spaces and it can make black people feel excluded as the term tends to other. So this proves my point that even many of my fellow conservatives are sheep-like on occasion. I never used African American. Or if I did, it was so rare as that I... I, I, I I made a boo-boo at the moment. I always said black. Jesse Jackson came up with African-American. I found the term pointless. And sure enough, now it's racist. If you were racist, if you didn't say African-American and said black, and now you're racist if you say African-American and not black. We return. The Dennis Prager Show. The destruction of the armed forces is another aim of the left. Anything that weakens the United States, the left is for. Massive numbers of illegal people, uh, people illegally coming into the country. The destruction of the universities, high schools, and elementary schools. The destruction of the armed forces the bastardization of of the uh, of the american medical community rendering doctors into into unthinking puppets of leftism i uh, can you name me an area that the left has made good has built what they do to music and art it's really something they're agents of destruction and i'm reading to you now about the armed forces A NASA, this is now I'm going to NASA, from the Army to the Veterans Administration to the National Space Administration. A NASA training in allyship for executives says that the term African American is, quote, utilized heavily in white spaces and can make black people feel excluded as the term tends to other. By the way, of course, they capitalize black. I refuse to. I never capitalize black. I never capitalize white. They are colors. They are not proper nouns. But the sheep-like behavior of the human species is again evident as people capitalize black so as not to be disliked. The liberation of not wanting to be liked by a lot of people, you have no idea how liberating that is in your life. You want to be liked by good people period. Therefore, I don't want to be liked by the New York Times. That's the point. If the New York Times likes me, there is something wrong with me. If the Washington Post likes me, if Media Matters likes me, when lowlifes like you, 
you're you're not uh, you're not impressive. Their opposition to me reinforces my belief that what I'm doing is decent and kind and noble. So I will not spell black with a capital B just because the New York Times decided to. You should not either. It's a color. You don't color blue. You don't color brown. By the way, I'm curious, since there are brown people, do they do they capitalize brown? There are red people. Do they capitalize R? Just wondering. The day you stop capitalizing black with a capital B will be a liberating day in your life. You announce, I am not a sheep. It is so exhilarating. That night, you will sleep better. How do you defy the shepherds of the left? That is a question. Do you do it at all in your life? That's a good New Year's resolution. Another NASA slide series explains that inclusive leaders, quote, are willing to be uncomfortable in exploring race, gender, sexual orientation, and so forth. Quote, we have been taught to act as if we are colorblind and gender neutral, it adds, but these efforts actually limit us. They don't even know what they're talking about. Who has ever said we should be gender neutral? Well, I never even heard the term. They're the ones who want us to be gender neutral because they don't recognize gender as objectively existing. As regards colorblind, yes, colorblind is noble. I don't give a damn about your color. It's a noble sentiment. So this is what they send out in NASA. Over the years, we have been taught to act as if we are colorblind and gender neutral and that no differences exist between people. What does that mean? Who has ever said no differences exist between people? They lie even in their own defense. They just lie because truth is not a left-wing value. Say that when you wake up and when you go to bed. It's, it's not that they consciously lie. It's that truth is not a value. Who ever said that we are to, to believe that there are no differences between people? Of course there are. There are no differences between races. That's, but they, they won't have the guts to write what is true. But these efforts actually limit us. Inclusive leaders recognize that everyone has unique perspectives and value. Of course we recognize that. They don't. They believe that values and perspectives emanate from race. We don't. And that those differences can contribute to unique business results. Oh, I see while everyone has biases, these leaders minimize them through candid conversation, conversations and courageous actions. Uh, it's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about left-wing leaders. Courage. Yes. The heads of Nike are courageous. The heads of Google are courageous. Never thought of that before. <sighs> wow. All right, we're continuing with what is being done in the armed forces of the United States of America. Let's see here, yep. A NASA tip sheet on microaggressions 
gives examples that include asking an Asian person to help with a math or science problem. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's a crack up. Yes, because people might really be anti-Asian and think they're smarter. Can you think of a greater insult to a person who looks Asian than to assume that they're smarter than you? That is really low. This is what's given out in the U.S. Armed Forces at this time. We continue. Well, reading to you about how the left is destroying the U.S. armed services through the LGBTQ method. That's what it's about. It is not about lesbians, bisexuals, gays, transgender. It, it is about destroying the societies we know it. It's not being done by gays, lesbians, etc. It is being done in the name of them by, frankly, mostly heterosexual, cisgender people. A NASA tip sheet on microaggressions give examples that include asking an Asian person to help with a math or science problem. Already, if you say America is a melting pot. I was taught in school when I was a kid that America is a melting pot. There is no America if it is not a melting pot where everybody comes from different cultures and so on and eventually becomes American. It doesn't mean that you give up your own indigenous culture. I learned that America was a melting pot in a Jewish yeshiva. All day school, half the day in Hebrew. But I learned America was a melting pot. I learned to be a proud American. I learned give me liberty or give me death in that school. say America's a melting pot today offends the left because they want to destroy America. If you don't understand that, you are lying to yourself, and that's a big sin. The left wishes to destroy America. Do you understand that? Not liberals. Liberals vote for the people who wish to destroy America. But the left does. Hence the border issue. Hence what they're doing to the armed forces. Hence what they're doing to schools. Hence what they're doing to the family. Hence what they're doing to children. Medicine. They only know how to destroy. The left builds nothing but government. It destroys every other institution. If you don't know that, you are lying to yourself. Period. A talk to a NASA center by Janice Underwood, then the state of Virginia's chief diversity officer, urges, quote, walk toward, emphasized, the discomfort when patterns of white supremacy are named or questioned, predictable defensive responses will emerge. Uh, Doesn't mean a damn thing. It just means if you differ with us, you're a white supremacist. Run by a woman, that is a shock. Ms. Underwood now leads the Diversity Bureau at the Federal Office of Personnel Management. Wow, how did this country survive without diversity bureaus in the past? Wow. This is what NASA gives out. 
Avoid language like, I don't see color, I'm colorblind, I treat everyone the same, I just hire the best person. Wow. You're actually told that. You should not say, I hire the best person. They don't want you to hire the best person. They want you to destroy the institution by hiring by race and diversity, not by best. If you still don't believe the left is out to destroy the societies we know it, then you're lying to yourself because you don't have the courage. It's, an, it's not an act of, it's not an, of intellectual realization. It is an act of courage because to say the left is destroying America means you have to fight, and most people rather fight people who won't hurt them, like Christians. Right? The left doesn't fight the Islamists. They don't make fun of the Quran, but they make fun of the Bible. I'm not telling them to make fun of the Quran. I'm just saying they won't dare do so. Cowardice is a feature of leftism. You fight the people who won't hurt you, like Christians. Avoid language like, I don't see color, I'm colorblind, I treat everyone the same. Do you understand that? The left is telling you that if you treat everyone the same, you're a bad person. We are living what was warned 3,000 years ago by one of the Hebrew prophets, Hosea. Woe unto those who call good evil and who call evil good. That is the motto of the left. They call evil good and good evil. I don't know what else it takes to prove it. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. We're going to talk about the world now. The world at this moment. With one of the few people I regularly have on, a few times a year, George Friedman, founder and president of Geopolitical Futures, a private intelligence service. His uh, extremely significant daily briefing can be found at geopoliticalfutures.com, geopoliticalfutures.com. He is in Austin, Texas. George Friedman, I heard, George, that you just uh, finished a world tour. It seemed like a world tour. Uh, We were in Southeast Asia. We were in Dubai. We were in most of Europe uh, and uh, trying to find out what mischief we can discover. So we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Well, actually, not in a moment. I really want to talk to you about Ukraine. So... In a, in a nutshell, I'll tell you my position, and as every guest knows, if you differ slightly or totally, it's fine with me. Uh, so I, I believe that we have we in the West have no choice but to uh, help Ukraine resist the, uh, the attack by Russia. I thought the Wall Street Journal laid out some really powerful arguments. And they coincide with some of mine, like the, uh, I, I, I believe in this, I'll be very curious to get your reaction. I think this 
somewhat diminishes the likelihood of China invading Taiwan, seeing what, what has happened. It has increased the credibility of American weapons. And uh, aside from any moral concern of, of taking over a nation, what's your take on Ukraine? Well, the first thing is to understand what's important for the United States. If Russia takes Ukraine, then the Russian army is right face-to-face with NATO, countries like Poland, Hungary, uh, so on, and we're guaranteed to defend them. So it's in our interest to keep the Russians as far away from there as possible, and really in the interest of the Russians, too, because we don't want another 20-year confrontation. The Russians desperately want us farther away from Moscow. You know, right now, Western forces are about 260 miles from Moscow. So they've got the need to push us away from the places where they got invaded and defeated. Uh, and we have the need not to have another war. And that's where wars start. Um, we can't have a civil war, and we are going to have this confrontation. Whatever the opinions are, these are fundamental things to both countries, and we're going to fight it out. So uh, I asked a historian of whom I have great respect a question about six months ago, and I've loved your answer. I won't say what his was. I said, if, in your opinion, if Donald Trump were president, would the Russians have invaded Ukraine? What's your answer to that question? Well, you know, Donald Trump had the same policy as Biden. He was the one who gave the tanks to Poland. And he was the one who was going to have uh, uh, Fort Trump named after him. I mean, he was very, very big on this for whatever reason he had. And the Russians looked at him as a threat. I mean, there's this idea that he had a rapport with, uh, you know, the Russians. Well, it's hard to have a rapport, but he did something the Russians really didn't like. and They didn't trust him. So he, this historian said he doesn't think they would have invaded if Trump were president. Forget it. I, I've never bought the rapport nonsense. Uh, he theoretically had a rapport with Kim Jong-un, too. But uh, my my thinking, and I always like to bounce it off you, is that they thought he was somewhat of a wild man, and they weren't going to mess with him. Well, you know, in war, you sometimes like a wild man because he's not careful. He's not he overestimates his capability. I don't think Trump did either of those things. I think they looked at Trump, paid very little attention to what he said. And took a look at the things he did. I mean, he did some really important things in building American power in that region. And so, you know, the idea that he he was projecting, you know, the sense of being unpredictable. But in fact, Obama started arming Poland. Trump continued it, and Biden went on. America is much more consistent than it likes to think of itself as. Right. Uh, all of that notwithstanding... I mean, maybe there it's just so conjectured you don't want to answer, which is fine. But do you, do you think he would have invaded if Trump were president? He invaded because U.S. forces were 260 miles away from Moscow. But he didn't he invade had, while that was true when, when, wasn't that true while Trump was president? Sure it was. And he was building up his forces to do it. 
the invasion of Moscow for Moscow was a multi-year effort. So if he invaded when he did, he was building his army years before. And he was. And everybody said, well, he was just doing it for fun or something like that. He had, Putin is a smart man. He's not emotional. And he knows what his country needs. He needs the Americans who he regards with serious respect away from Moscow. And so it, it, it was not from his point of view. Presidents, they come and go. American power. All right, so you feel he would have. Okay. So I, I want to understand this, too. I, this was my field of study. I was at the Russian Institute of Columbia. I know Russian. I went to the Soviet Union a number of times. And, and, and I've never fully, I understood emotionally that Russia was attacked uh, by Napoleon. Russia was attacked by Hitler. I, I get it. I understand that. Does the average Russian, I mean the average Russian patriot, the average Russian Putin supporter, truly believe that America would invade Russia? Uh, the answer is that they miscalculated on what Hitler would do, on what Napoleon would do. The Russians are chess players. They don't guess on what your move is going to be. They get ready for the worst-case scenario, because that's what they're used to. That's what the United States should do, too, which is hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Okay, but they didn't invade Ukraine since the fall well, they did, actually, eastern Ukraine, I understand. But they didn't do this since the 1990s. They haven't done it in 30 years, and there would been no invasion of Russia. Why all of a sudden was it imperative to invade Ukraine? Well, I don't think it was all of a sudden. They had taken Crimea. Uh, they were a dominant force in the Donbass in the east, okay? They were constantly making moves. But they were also building their military. Remember, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, the Russian military went to pieces. And Putin was carefully building the option. I don't think he was committed to this, okay? But what he basically saw was this buildup in Poland, and that that was the thing that people forget. The U.S. was building up its forces, putting 82nd Airborne into Poland, more than that. And he's saying, why are the Americans doing this? And this predated Trump. It went on during Trump. So he was looking at this and saying, I've got to build up my force. And I don't think he built up his force big enough. I think he underestimated. But still, uh, you know, when I went to Russia, every house has a picture of somebody who died. Uh, it's an amazing thing and a painful thing to go to these houses. That war still lives. It was... I think some 30 million Russians killed. So, yeah, they do respond to it. What uh, What is the worst-case scenario that can come from this conflict? Likely, uh, or, or feasible, not likely. What is a feasible worst-case scenario? That we wind up unable either to defeat the other side, one or the other, okay, and unable to make a peace. I'm not worried about nuclear weapons. I'm not worried about many other things. But the worst case here is one of these endless Vietnam-style wars that go on and on. And 
you know, that may not be the worst thing in the world, but that's what scares me. Because what I see is a Russian force that is, you cannot simply defeat them without them coming back at you. And the Ukrainian force fighting for its life and wanting to be there, and the U.S. committed to supporting it. And I see a lot of blocks that could no longer be All right, we'll, we'll continue this in a moment. George Friedman is my guest. This is The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. George Friedman is my guest. Major source of, uh, of information on the world today's founder and president of Geopolitical Futures. You can go there and check it out, geopoliticalfutures.com. And we're talking about Ukraine. We'll talk about China and other things in a moment. Well, I don't know if it'll be in a moment, but I have so many things I want to bounce off George Friedman with regard to Ukraine. So do you think that Putin expected the resistance that he's he's getting? No. I, I think he made three massive intelligence failures. First, he failed to understand the Ukrainian training level and motivation. Second, he didn't understand that in a war, Germany was not going to play ball with him, but work with the United States, taking Europe with him. And finally, I mean, he simply miscalculated on what the United States was going to do. He thought he could move rapidly in, occupy Ukraine, provide a you know a reality, and the U.S. would kind of back off. So I don't think he ever anticipated this. I don't want to I'm talk sure about that. What What is the reality that he thought he would create? Did he? I don't know. I I it, it puzzles me. I know. He, he would dream of reconstituting the Soviet Union. Did he think he could uh, annex Ukraine? Was that his aim? Well, he saw Ukraine as uh, incapable of putting up resistance. Right, okay, he so he wins. Look, they put up no resistance, he wins. What does he do with Ukraine? What he does with the Ukraine, and I think we really have to understand this importance, he has the borders of the Soviet Union back. He faces in Europe, and anyone who wants to hurt him, and Putin believes the United States is planning to hurt him, uh, anyone has to do go a lot farther. So he gets, firstly, uh, his western frontier secured. He winds up putting the position where the Americans have to be on the defensive rather than him. And he also gets into a new relationship with the Europeans, with Germany particularly. Germany gets the oil there. He happily gets right. I want to talk to you about Germany. He so it's an interesting uh, take you had there. So you your view is that because Germany was so reliant on Russia for energy, it would not oppose his invasion of Ukraine. Do I have you correctly? Exactly. Yes. Wow. But it was one other thing that Schultz in the first two days did what Putin expected him to do. He looked for a way out. He looked for it. He flew to Washington. He had a meeting with Biden and some other people, and he shifted his position. We showed that, you know, we have various things that he needs more than the Russians. So there was this moment where it may could have happened. It was not an insane idea. So the thing about Putin was he did not, he was wrong, but he was not ridiculously wrong. And, um, 
favored. And he's what? He's paid for it. Yeah, exactly correct. So, again, my take, which I like bouncing off you, is that there's no possibility of an end to the war without Putin saving face. Is that a fair statement? I think that's absolutely correct. Okay. Because any other way, he's a dead man. That's right. Literally, Literally a dead man. Literally. This is Russia. So uh, what, what? So now the 64,000 ruble question. What would save face? It would seem to me that possibly, I don't know, that Ukraine agreeing not to join NATO would be a face saver. He needs more than that. He needs the Donbass. There's a region on his border that really is predominantly Russian, the only part that is, uh, that he had influence over and that the Ukrainians attacked and tried to take back. I think we could have a settlement if Ukraine agreed to cede this area to the Russians. I don't, Russians I don't, I don't see that as, as, as conceivable. Well, it comes down to this. If the United States tells the Ukrainians, we're going home, enjoy yourselves, okay, a lot of things become conceivable. So one of the things that's going to happen here is we're going to have a locked-in war going on and on. And at some point, if the president or someone is going to say, you know, this is not going to end, and we can't spend all our time here, and they'll look for the concession. Now, I may there may be a different concession, okay? But I think this is what the Russians could accept, some territory. He need, they need that. And I think there's a limit you and I both know there's a limit to the tolerance of the American people for endless wars. Correct. So what was the... Uh, I wish I, I knew the answer. I'm a little embarrassed that I don't, but I don't. Uh, but I, I rather embarrass myself and learn. <laughs> what was the status of the Donbass region prior to the invasion? It was part of the Ukraine formally. But in practical terms, it was governed by the Russians who dominated the area. Ukrainians didn't leave, you know, left them alone. The Russians didn't worry too much about what they did. And it was a region that it was, you know, on the map it was Ukrainian, but it was really, you know, Russian. So it was one of those ambiguous places. So so Putin would not accept uh, status quo ante? No, he wouldn't accept that. He had to come away because he's got... A lot of people dead, and they have to die. Well, no, no, Ukraine and NATO is a victory. Well, yes and no, because that by itself is the status quo ante. Can't have all these people dying just to restore what was there. So he's going to want that, but he's going to have some sort of symbol that says this war, war was worth it. Something. Yeah, it's, it's well. If it if 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 Ukraine not joining NATO is worth it, uh, it's hard for me to imagine an end to this war that would satisfy that would NATO, satisfy him. For twenty years, uh, Ukrainians weren't in NATO. That was the status. He used to talk about Putin. Used to talk about the importance of them NATO creeping and so on and so forth. But, you know, it was something that didn't happen. So the status quo is not what he's going to accept. Remember, he has a big problem. He has two armies fighting, 
One is called the Wagner Group, which is larger now than the Russian army, and they're under the control of various oligarchs. And these two armies are out there, and slowly Putin is losing control over what's going on or having to negotiate with people. So his power is slipping. He needs a settlement. But a, right. but a settlement that will take him where he All right, we'll talk about that in a moment. George Friedman, my guest. Hello, my friends. Final segment with George Friedman, founder, president, Geopolitical Futures. Go to geopoliticalfutures.com, sample uh, uh, one of his uh, daily intelligence reports. I have very uh, good questions, so I would suggest that the uh, that those of you calling in now and asking about conservative opposition to supporting Ukraine call in tomorrow third hour or I will devote an hour to answering conservative critiques of the war next week in the meantime we're talking about the, the world situation right now so you uh, you actually gave us some reason for optimism, which is rare these days, when you said you didn't foresee nuclear conflict as a result of Ukraine. Do you think that, nevertheless, that is the most dangerous situation in the world today, or is there something we're overlooking? Well, I don't think it's dangerous, because if Putin launched a nuclear attack 30 minutes later, he'd be dead. Because we could track him pretty well, and you can count on that. So everybody avoided nuclear war because it was impossible to have one without being badly damaged yourself. And that's the same thing here. But it's good to talk about it. I mean, the really difficult thing here is we're going through a period of time where there's a global economic downturn. We have these every eight to ten years. But this time it's with a lot of countries that have very weak governments and are greatly unsatisfied. The possibility of... I won't call it global unrest, but I will say in strategic countries no longer be able to control their public and themselves. That's my fear. Example? An example is that in a country like Hungary, which I was at, and you, I know you know your friends with Viktor Orban, and I am too, that you have a person holding it together, but they're under pressure from the economies of the European countries, and so on and so forth. And at a certain point, the pain becomes more than can be resisted. I picked Hungary only because I was there recently, uh, but it could happen in any country. You could happen a lot of times. And you look into the 1920s, and that was what the world looked like. Wow. All right, my friend, I thank you for your time. I ask you all to sample his brilliant Daily reports at geopoliticalfutures.com. Thank you, George. Be well. You take care. Bye-bye. I do take care, actually. By the way, for the record, I, I know what he meant, but just for the record, I'm not friends with Victor Orban. We've never met. But I, I do not believe he's an incipient fascist, as the New York Times depicts him. We will continue on the next show on the great themes of life from the decay of art 
to Ukraine on the Dennis Prager Show. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the daily Dennis Prager podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.